Hello and welcome to another episode of My Goddamn Quest for Happiness. This week, ooh la la, I have a fancy guest on. <laughs> His name is Andrew Tidmarsh and he was my teacher at RADA. He has taught at RADA and Drama Centre London. He was an associate tutor on the MA in playwriting at Goldsmiths University of London and he is currently working with companies to help them tell better stories with integrity and authenticity. He has written two books, one of which is called An Attitude for Acting, How to Survive and Thrive as an Actor and the other one is called Genre, Guide to Writing for Stage and Screen. And this latter book is especially relevant to today's conversation because we will actually be talking about the happiness narrative and the success narrative. It has taken me a little while to understand that Andrew wasn't actually complaining about the fact that we are striving for happiness, but he was talking about the narrative we tell around happiness. And all of that will become clear in the second part of this interview, which you won't hear for another month, unfortunately, but I thought I'd put a little disclaimer in now. Um... So we will be talking about how we represent happiness in society today. So I'm glad you've uh, you've come by, you've dropped by again. Yeah, without further ado, here's Andrew Tidmarsh. Hi, and welcome to my goddamn quest for happiness. I am Anne Klein, actor, comedian and life coach. Okay, sure. This podcast is all about happiness. What makes us happy? What makes some people happier than others? And why can't I get it? I've been reading a lot of books. I've been talking to many, many people, watching lots of YouTube videos, rabbit hole, and I have discovered a few things and I would love to share just that with you. I just have a feeling you're going to dismantle the reason for my podcast existing. <laughs> no, I'm not at all. I think, if anything, I'm going to um, affirm the necessity for your podcast. Oh, good. I think I am, anyway. I'm not sure. I never know what's going to come out of my mouth until it actually comes out, which is um, <laughs> a huge disadvantage in life. <laughs> the only thing that is probably going to happen is in about half an hour from outside the room and the house is generally quiet you'll just hear what do you want for breakfast (laughs) (laughs) that's all right we love that kind of stuff how do you want your eggs (laughs) how do you want your eggs that happens is that meant for you then or is it just them talking to each other no, them talking to each other. It usually happens during meditation. It didn't happen this morning, so I can... But that's what I you need. I was hoping it would happen. Yeah, that's what you need in meditation, because it really tests whether you've learnt anything or not. Mm. You know your Eckhart Toller, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I'm actually just in the middle of reading his book. We can talk about that if you want. We can talk about the, the narrative of self-help. Let's go for it. I mean, yeah, let's dive in. So, here's the theory, and you can tell me what you think. Yes. The theory is that um, we're dripping, dripping in stories. Never been more stories around us than there is right now, especially with Instagram and news feeds and social media and stuff like that. And that some people are carving certain narratives for themselves that are quite interesting. And my big thesis for this morning, I think, is that um, we're confusing success narrative with happiness narrative. Mm. 
So just to give you an illustration of that, what we're doing is we're sticking up on our social media all these things that are actually um, all these things that are symbols of our success and the lifestyle that we have managed to attain. Mm-hmm. And it's very flat and it's very boring. And we know when we're at a party and we have a conversation with someone and they're just trying to portray themselves as successful. Yeah. And you just know it's hollow and you just know you go home to family arguments and grumpy children and a messy house and drawers that are overfilling with junk like the rest of us. So why are you pretending to be like some sort of social media influencer? Why are you pretending to be something that is just con- you know, embodying this success narrative? And I think that's very disingenuous. Now, the happiness narrative looks completely different from the success narrative. Uh And it's the happiness narrative that I think tabloid media is obsessed with. Okay. And TV shows. Because what the happiness narrative depends on is the turnaround. Mm -hmm. So in kind of academic terms, we call that the peripety Right. Right. Do you I remember had to look that, that from your student days? Uh, I do not. I uh, you send it to me in your notes, and then I googled it. <laughs> <Do you? laughs> but you also wrote the turnaround next to it, so I thought I kind of knew what you meant. <laughs> do you want to explain it? So, well, yeah. So when we have a happiness narrative, what happens is that um, we have something like a rags to riches story. Right. Or perhaps no education to famous academic. So some sort of famous academic likes to talk about how they didn't have any books in their house and they grew up on a council estate or something like that. Mm. Well, and we love, a, we love a, a breakdown to wisdom narrative. And my suggestion is that most of the self-help gurus we turn to have got some sort of narrative around, you know, I had a breakdown, I was an alcoholic, I was an addict, and now here I am with some sort of secret that I can I can share with everyone. And then we love, of course, the wealth, bankruptcy, wealthy again narrative. That's one of our favourites. Mm-hmm. And when I think about peripety, I always think about J.K. Rowling, of course. Right. Uh, because... The earlier story or the current one? Oh, well, we're about to see the the big turnaround, the second peripety in J.K. Rowling. Good point, yeah. (laughs) I was, you know, the fact that the the, the rumour is, apparently it's not true, but it's a really good story, that she was so poor she had to write in cafes because she couldn't afford to heat her flat. Yeah, (laughs) that as well, yeah. (laughs) And now she's (laughs) the wealthiest woman in the world. Apparently it's not true. Oh, how sad. Apparently it was bad, but not quite that bad. Right. (laughs) But, but so are you saying that that is that is a narrative we're telling ourselves or that is what is necessary to feel to achieve happiness? Mm. No, that's a good point. I don't think it's at all necessary to achieve happiness. I mm. think it's a narrative we tell ourselves. I think it's quite dangerous that we insist on telling ourselves that narrative because which of us is really living it? Mm. It's just an edit. But then I so I've, I've found that I tend to not trust people that haven't in some way had some kind of hardship in their lives. If, if someone who's always had it easy tells me how to be happy, I kind of think, but what do you know? So what does that reveal about you, Anne? Oh, no. <laughs> 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 no, but don't you, don't you agree? <laughs> I guess you don't. 
I just I just feel like men, so many people have struggled in one way or another. So someone who's always had it easy doesn't really have the key to how to get out of that. I'm completely the opposite. I'm deeply suspicious of the happiness narrative and the need to declare it all the time. Right. So who can associate Russell Brand, for example, with his immense wisdom and open-mindedness from the heroin addict of the past? And that's not to say that it's not true. Of course it's true. And, you know, I'm, I'm as happy as anyone else that Russell Brand is no longer a heroin addict. I don't wish any harm on anyone, but I'm deeply suspicious of the need to remind us of it all the time. Hmm. As if as if it's a, a badge of pride that he can wear. But could it not be on the flip side that maybe if he were to speak the way he does and never mention his past, people would say he's a hypocrite because um, he's clearly not been as wise all his life as he is now making it out to be? Why does it make a difference to people? I think because so many people are struggling with things and if you don't acknowledge that you've had struggles too people can't relate to you well i think there's um a much more interesting narrative around russell brand and i don't want to talk about russell brand particularly but i think there's a much more interesting narrative around him but one that people probably or he probably doesn't want to share so the 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 heroin addict to kind of new age guru is a very convenient narrative for him to cling on to and what is the the other narrative well, I wonder what someone with his history of you know, possible sex addiction now feels about being the father of daughters. Hmm. But then would he not have so, to, at the, it, would that not be a similar narrative? Would he not have to acknowledge his past with an addiction compared to his current situation? Well, it's a much more interesting peripety, but it's probably one that he doesn't want to talk about. And as long as he doesn't want to talk about that, I mean, we're talking for him and we're speculating and I'm, I'm not entirely comfortable doing this. But right. while he's talking, while he's not talking about that, which is perhaps a much more interesting peripety, he's attaching himself firmly to a narrative that is much easier. And I'm just mm. wondering how much we all do that how we all have a sense of, I need to communicate my happiness through the hardship, and this is the story that I've identified with, and is it true, necessarily? Mm. Can, can I offer the, the flip side of that? Do, go ahead, of course. I'm a... <laughs> Because I'm I'm obsessively listening to interviews with actors or comedians or whatever. And I find those interviews really, really boring of the people that have had success from an early age. I feel like there's nothing for me to, to be gained from that. Um, people that started in the business and, you know, immediately succeeded or were child actors or whatever. And they've just had a career their entire lives and I find it much more interesting people like for example Bill Hader I find fascinating because he was working as a production assistant or whatever and he was working for ages and he su suffered from anxiety and he has had anxiety while on Saturday Night Live and all those things and I feel like I, I find that so much more interesting and there's so much more for me as a human being to learn from that than someone who says well I've I just got an agent when I was three and I've worked ever since. Is that true? I've just, I've just, I've had an agent since I was three and I've worked ever since. Is that actually true? 
course it's not. There's plenty of struggle and self-doubt. But while we're clinging on to this happiness narrative, so Bill Hader's story is the story he's choosing to tell, mm. he's not actually revealing much more interesting things about him. In what way? Well, I don't know, because I, I don't know who, anything about him, but I imagine there are other moments where he's experienced <sighs> failure, self-doubt. He's maybe, I know, all the... What am I going to do about this mess in my life? I think those are much more interesting stories, the universal ones. But that's I haven't what... spoken to my best friend for 13 years. I don't know whether that's true for him, but that's, that's a much more interesting narrative than the manufactured happiness narrative. But in what... I don't understand the difference, I don't think. Because in what way is saying, I've not spoken to my best friend in 13 years, not also saying, this is where I've struggled... Well, because what the parapetity does is it insists that there's a turnaround, so it's only binary. Ah. And that's what, in my mind, makes it both compelling, but at the same time quite dangerous. So the problem, the issue is them pretending that now they have it all, whereas before they didn't. Correct. Ah, I see. Okay, okay, I didn't get that. And look bit. at the turnaround. And I'm a little bit smug because I pulled it off. Right. Maybe is also the implication. So and the, the audience buys into it. Yes. <laughs> But is that also, do you reckon, part of why we l like to see the downfall of people that have achieved success? Because mm, that's a delicious peripety. And ultimately, we don't enjoy seeing someone be so successful when we're still struggling. Yeah, we don't want them rubbing our noses in it. <laughs> <laughs> Look how great I am. Mm. So then what would be what would be the correct happiness um, narrative if it weren't fake? Well, I don't think there is one. That's, that's the paradox. I think we constantly manufacture these turnarounds for ourselves, and yet probably it's a disingenuous story to be telling. Do you mean in the sense that then it becomes like a goal to be achieved and once you have it, you're fine, rather than it being a constant up and down yeah what peripety would you tell right now um hotel manager got into rada <laughs> exactly um i was never a hotel manager hotel management student got into rada um but uh do you not think so that you can achieve like a, d a different level of happiness so even though there's always ups and downs you can have them on a different level yeah but while we're talking about the student hotel manager who got into rada we're obscuring those other narratives so getting into rada wasn't the end point was it no was it even the point where you felt best about yourself <laughs> no <laughs> okay but okay yes This is an issue because usually the things that you think are going to fulfill you are not in reality don't feel the way you think they are gonna. Mm. But doesn't that doesn't don't you need to have some kind of uh, landmarks that you measure your life with and within that maybe you can tell the story of the ups and downs. Well that's because we're obsessed with success. But I could also tell... Well, yes, but that depends on how you define success, right? Because I could also tell a story of how I used to not be able to endure a hug, and now I can. Like, that's that for me is also a turnaround. It's a lovely parapetie. <laughs> but it's the same... It's, <laughs> it's still the same... 
Like, isn't everything that? Yeah, but it's the ones you choose to tell. So the issue is not with a peripety, but what 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 you choose to. Yeah. Yeah, and the finality of the peripety, the finality of that final turnaround, that's what I think does the damage. That's what does the harm okay. in the narratives we insist on telling each other. I'm interested that you went um, a hotel management student to getting into RADA rather than hotel management student to having her own podcast talking about happiness. Well, this is going to be cut out. <laughs> <laughs> So, so how would you how would you then describe your peripety? Well, uh, there are several peripeties, but I think what I'd like to, how I'd like to define my story right now today as someone who's surviving in the daily struggle. Okay. Because in terms of our narrative, and this is going to get really. Uh, there's not a lot of comedy in this, I'm afraid. That's but right. in terms of our daily struggle, or in terms of our story, we all know it's not going to end well. Right? Wait, because we die? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the sad conclusion, I think, to everyone's narrative. Well, it depends on how you see it. I, the other day I had an epiphany and I thought if we didn't know that we were going to die, then all of this would be pointless. Like, isn't, isn't death what gives value to what we're experiencing right now? You've either read a really interesting self-help book or you've become a Catholic. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to also say um, that I am a Catholic, but not practicing, so I don't know what that means. So you're well versed in it then. So, you know, the end of the narrative is that we all end up six feet under or rolling in a box towards a literal fire. Yeah, but why, why is that a bad thing? Well, it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that's the ultimate peripety. I see. Yes, there is an actual end point. And with the ones within life, there isn't. Yeah, but if... You know, we are all still alive. I guess that's the that's what we take as our source of happiness. Is that I know it's going to happen one day. The big the big turnaround is awaiting me. Mm-hmm. Sadly, and but today I'm still alive. So that's what I'd like the narrative of my own story to be for today. Still alive, still thinking. <laughs> then within that do you not think that within being alive and still thinking and getting your happiness from that you can also make yourself a really miserable life even though you're alive and thinking well i'm glad you've got onto that topic the narrative of misery Uh oh. and those of us who attach to the narrative of misery so i really really love nordic noir love it they, um, yeah, everyone's miserable and there's no escape. Absolutely no escape. No escape from the weather, no escape from the ice and the cold and the darkness and all the women detectives have got dreadful problems, just awful, awful, awful problems. And we, we love it. And we love soap. I don't watch any soap operas, but I'm sure, you know, millions and millions of people do. And we love them. And there's, we know that the ultimate storyline for everyone is misery and those actors they're desperate they're desperate for a big storyline even though that's a storyline around whatever it might be extreme poverty losing a job broken relationships grieving all that stuff 
And I think we're very drawn to the narrative of misery. It's very attractive. So do you reckon we like observing misery in other people or experiencing it ourselves? No, I think it's got to be about acknowledging how few, at least, I'm not going through that. So we're not that attached to the, um, to the narrative of misery? Yeah, we're very attached to it, I think. And I think also <laughs> we're attached to... Hang on, we're going to get an egg discussion happening right now. That was, did you hear her? Yes, that's why I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> she wants toast. No eggs today. But what about your addiction to narrative of misery? Not other people's, but when you tell your own story, well, which is about how miserable you've been or how anxious you've been or how, how you've struggled. And what about when you use that as a source of comfort for other people in terms of when you then create, you know, laughter out of misery? Oh, um, I mean, there's, I think there's two parts to that. But... I think there is one uh, clinging to like the to the narrative of like being a victim and you know looking look look how far I've come in spite of all the odds. Um, but I think but I love comedy for that reason because I think there is misery misery everywhere and I love that comedy has the has the power to um, take it a bit more lightly. I, I just hate it when things are taken too seriously. So. What isn't funny? What is too miserable to be made funny? Nothing. I think it depends on the person. Like, I think, I think know your audience. You know, it depends on where, if people are struggling with a trauma or something, that's maybe not something to make fun of in the moment. But I think anything can, can, be, can, can be funny. What's the name of that American comedian who just stopped being funny and got up on stage and started talking about her cancer? Tig Notaro. Tig Notaro, that's it. I've never watched anything of hers, so I don't know. It's brilliant. I've watched it. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's always... But that doesn't... There's always moments to take things seriously and to take things not seriously. I think there's something very interesting in a comedian suddenly choosing to take something seriously. But that doesn't mean you can't also do jokes about cancer, which lots of people do. Well, sh she had um, <clears throat> endured it... Or was in the process of enduring it when she put that set together. So that's why I think she has the authority to do that. Yeah. But I would never, I would never make a joke about somebody else's misfortune. No, neither would I. But I, I, I have friends on the comedy circuit that have. The, so I know, I know a comedian who has breast cancer and who does all of her comedy based on that. So I think you can choose which road you're going to go down in that situation. So why do you think that makes people happy? Why do you think that elicits laughter? Or why do you think watching um, EastEnders or some really miserable soap opera? I'm not sure I understand the question. Why do you think that, why do you think that makes us feel better? Why, does that why is there a need in our daily life for that particular narrative? Which one? The laughing about misery? Well, either the laughing about misery or just being exposed to the narrative of misery where there is no hope. I, don't I know do, people who are obsessed with, with those death row documentaries. Do you know the ones? Yes, there's yeah. Endless, there's endless versions on Netflix. Just those people, there is no hope for those people. And they're getting all, you know, in, they've had dreadful, horrible lives. They're incarcerated. They're possibly going to be killed. And we want to <clears throat> really probe their narrative. Hmm. Well, I think what you said earlier probably 
is relevant here as well. And I think it's also something you taught us about, I think, farce or whatever. The, the thing of, like, something is funny or something is interesting because we can sit at home and watch it on our TV in safety and say, that's not happening to me. What do you think? Well, I have no idea why people watch interviews through glass screens of people on death row. That absolutely, that I find that absolutely extraordinary. And I have no idea why people watch these awful TV shows where siblings who've been separated at birth get reunited as adults. <laughs> it's a narrative that completely, I can see the peripety from no family to having found a family. I can see how powerful that is, but I have no idea why that's entertaining for you but or that, for anyone. Like, I think those are probably two very different things, but I suppose those are, that's probably something where people feel there's hope. If you feel really lonely in your life and you watch something like that and you think, somebody like a tv producer could come knocking at my door any moment and completely change my life and then suddenly i'll, I'll no longer be lonely <laughs> are you are you revealing that you have a, a long lost sibling fantasy no but i <laughs> i don't know if i can say this when i was little i was convinced that i was adopted I cannot not put this That's on it. That's normal. I was you can. That's and, absolutely normal. And and I went to watch Anastasia, Anastasia in uh, in the cinema, uh, the the um, comic one, the cartoon one, and I was convinced yeah. that I was her. <laughs> I didn't know about the timeline. <laughs> I didn't know she would be in her nineties at the time, um, but I was convinced I had a concussion and um, didn't remember that my entire family was murdered. And uh, one day I would find out that actually I'm the princess of Russia. I can go one better than you on that one. Go for it. So my daughter's 11. Yes. She also has I'm in the wrong family fantasies. I mean, who can blame her, right? <laughs> <laughs> and her, but she knows for a fact that she shares a birthday with Anastasia Romanoff. Okay. She found that out. So desperate is she to prove to the world that she's born in the wrong family that she suggests that perhaps she is Anastasia reincarnated. Oh my! Mm. But then, sorry to, to um, poke a hole in this theory. <laughs> so, this is so <laughs> awful of me to say. Wouldn't, wouldn't she have to have the same birthday as her death day? I don't know whether that... I don't know how reincarnation works. At the same time as... <laughs> at the same time as I, you know... <laughs> same time as I tell her that... Father Christmas doesn't exist, and the only final conclusion to her story is death. <laughs> you know, when we sit down and have that conversation, right. I will. Um, no, okay, well, that's that's good to know then. But then, don't you think if that is such a common um, thing amongst children, that that explains why we watch those shows as adults? Because we're still waiting for that moment where we realise our entire life was a lie, and actually there's a much better one waiting for us. Princess Diaries. I... I would hope that by the time you're old enough and you sit down and watch those shows that you no longer are having some sort of I was secretly adopted as a baby <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> right. But clearly not. Um, I, I don't know why we watch those shows and I, it's an absolute mystery to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I actually am currently struggling to watch any because you said earlier about them watching Misery on on TV, and I'm actually incapable of watching those shows at the, at the moment. I have been for a few years. I can only watch things that leave me happy. What about embarrassment and shame? What are your thoughts on that as a source of comedy? I hate it. 
hate it with a passion and I, I hate um, those shows where people laugh at people falling down or hurting themselves I cannot I don't understand why we laugh at that what about prank shows where people are being set up hate them hate them so much I I had an audition for uh, Borat too to play his daughter and um, they didn't tell me at the time that it was for that but I had a feeling from the brief that that was going to be what it was and I just did not want to be a part of it even though what he's doing is clearly like he's he's trying to do something good but I cannot even if if the person is meant to be really evil and vile I cannot understand how why you would trick someone and and prank them or yeah just trick them into into embarrassing themselves or revealing their truth selves I I still I still find it horrible so did you watch it no I watched it with my 17-year-old son. And you loved it? No. I loathe him. Mm. I mean, I think I absolutely stand for what he represents in terms of his his politics and what he's trying to do. I think it's really quite amazing, actually. Mm. Um, but the methods of doing it I find revolting because there's no choice for the people being pranked. Mm-hmm. So well, I can't get beyond what you were talking about earlier, the notion that they're victims. And I don't think that's a very happy narrative to mm. victimise someone, regardless of their politics. And I think he was quite surprised in it because he found two Trump supporters who were actually very, very kind to him. Oh. Well, then, isn't and that, that interesting? quite a difficult narrative, yeah. But then if you have to, like, mould that into the story you want to tell, then it's disingenuous. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all prank shows and that type of candid camera is the, the targets are soft and i don't find them funny either it's a narrative that i also don't embrace but my 17 year old son he doesn't like borat and he sees all kinds of moral issues with it but he loves a prank youtube video there's really? some guys in new york who i mean it's very very funny but at, at the same time you know he shows me bits and at the same time you just think these people are being they're victims mm, yeah I the, the, the the unwitting nature of it is quite difficult that you know that what we were talking about earlier with you watching something and thinking thank god that's not me but i can't watch it like that because i i'm too empathetic um i but i <laughs> don't want to brag or anything but i i um i'm really struggling with that i i completely put myself in their shoes and i suffer with them i cannot find the humor in it so which fictional narratives are you drawn to well, the ones you were um, telling us about earlier, where they are terrible. <laughs> the rags to riches ones. And what fictional examples do you have of that, that su- success? That, well, I think it is a happiness narrative rather than a success narrative. That's kind of my point. Right. Which examples do you have of that? The Prince's Diaries. <laughs> I don't know, but I just... Well, there we have... We, so we, we've got an adoption fantasy again, haven't we? That's tr- well. That yeah. That's why it came up earlier. Well, it's not adoption though, but it's the same principle. Yeah, of like someone knocks on your door and your entire life changes. You realise you're something you never thought you were. Oh my, this is way too revealing. <laughs> um. So what what the antidote is to that particular happiness narrative for you that someone is going to come and knock on your door, Anne, and say, um, you are you are not the person you thought you were. And there's this whole other life waiting for you with possibly parents who were devastated at needing to give you up for your own good. But they gave you up anyway out of love and now they are ready to welcome you back into their, their family. What, what does that life look like? Oh no, Andrew, no. That's, I cannot respond to that. <laughs> that's, 
that now it's a therapy session. <laughs> okay, well, we'll move on then. And instead, <laughs> let's think about what the antidote to that is. And the antidote to that is the self-help narrative. Which is also bad. No, I think the self-help narrative, having written a self-help book, I think the self-help narrative is rather wonderful. Oh, all right. And that is the end of this month's episode. So (laughs) I'm quite proud of myself because I managed to put in a cliffhanger. What? So if you'd like to know what the self-help narrative is and how it helps us or why it is our saving grace and more very fascinating conversation um please come back next month for the second part of this interview for of this conversation um check out the show notes for links to andrew's website and his books and also go on rtl.lu for more info and so on and so on and so on (laughs) come back next month for the second part i'm glad you were here thank you so much take care goodbye